Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner. Hey, we continue our fantastic lineup of guests this week with the amazing Amanda Lindsay Cook. She is a singer-songwriter, worship leader. She has won the GMA Dove Award for Inspirational Album of the Year, and she has received three Covenant Awards from GMA Canada, including Female Vocalist of the Year, Song of the Year, and Praise and Worship Song of the Year for her song, You Make Me Brave. Her latest release is House on a Hill, and it is amazing, and she is amazing, and she is actually a really good friend, and you are in store for something special. She is an Enneagram 5 and she has done her work and beautifully wrapped her words around her experience as a five. So you are in for a treat. Hey, that's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And now, here is Amanda Lindsay Cook with the host of our show, Ian Cron. Amanda, welcome to Typology. Thanks for having me. So we just had a moment. We we sure did. <laughs> I won't be able to recover. <laughs> All right, for context, everybody, uh, Amanda arrived. Oh, boy, I wish we'd videoed this. Yes, that would have been <laughs> right? good. Right? Yeah. We're going to pretty soon be videoing all of our uh, oh. interviews. You oh, know? amazing. And then yeah. having a YouTube channel so people can just watch. Because oftentimes... Watching the interview is as revealing as just listening. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Maybe more so because you're actually seeing the body language, mm-hmm. the facial mm-hmm. cues and that are very unique to each type, mm-hmm. right? So we just had one of those moments where we, uh, a four's favorite moment when we together <laughs> experience something that accelerates us into an emotional space that most people can't get to in 10 years. <laughs> yes. So uh. we were talking of, uh, we discovered that we had a mutual love for choral music. Mm-hmm. And uh, I relate a story about the Estonian composer Arvo Pert uh, mm-hmm. and a piece of his called The Anus Day. And for those of you who've never heard it, A-G-N-U-S, next word, D-E, D-E-I, Arvo Pert, P-A-R-T is his last name. And I said, oh my gosh, we got to listen to it. It's only two minutes. And then what happened? I've, I, well, I'm still working it out in my mind. But I feel like we were all in the car with you on the way to Chicago, as Mm -hmm. you described it. I was there. I was there. I was in the car. And um, at a minute 37, was it? Yeah, at a minute 37. That I want you. That's where I want you actually to describe this more for me, so that I can listen back to this moment that you just you just described the root note to me, and that made sense of all the music that I am have a gravitational pull towards. Interesting, and that I, I feel like I write around. In fact, so much so that my one of my friends who was teaching me how to use studio equipment a couple of years ago, every time he would come over. I would have music like that playing where there's just a strong presence of, mm. and then absence and then presence and absence. But I love the, 
the push and pull of that. And he was like, one of these days I'm going to come over and you're just going to have a person playing a cello the entire day, like a drone in the background. I was like, that is exactly how I would like this sonic track of my life to be perceived is that one note that that grounds everything and then lifts off and grounds everything Mm. and lifts off kind of the gravity of it but will you describe i want to hear you describe Uh it again because it kind of made sense of everything that i've everything that i loved within studying classical music and studying piano and doing all the theory courses and everything like it all came back to that one note every Uh time and i love counterpoint for that reason yes because it's the relationship of counter melodies that move within each other rather than a stacked kind Mm -hmm. of harmonic chord that follows each other right it's more of a relationship it's more intuitive it's more felt at least to me right the counterpoint of it but anyways please just describe what you just described to me because i'm geeking out over it <laughs> like any good five right mm-hmm. we, were, we just connected it at uh, such a good space oh yeah right? and i just had the panic of like oh i should have been recording that or i should have written it down i need him to repeat it right. i need to look it up now please so indulge me <laughs> yeah <laughs> well so uh, this estonian composer contemporary sacred music uh he's uh it, it's this sort of eastern european eastern sort of harmonic mm-hmm. which is different than western right uh obviously uh you start with these dominantly two voices uh dancing around each mm-hmm. other in counterpoint it's exquisite on day is the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world have mercy on us etc and what people may not may or may not notice is that there's a drone running through mm-hmm. the whole piece, right? It's mm-hmm. one note. And you hear it sometimes in Celtic music, like with bagpipes mm-hmm. or something like this. Oh, and it runs, and mm-hmm. everything around it is in relationship to that one note. Well, the theology, there's a theology, there's, a, there's an internal logic to the music, right? Like mm-hmm. in architecture, uh, if you go into a church, what people don't realize is that the architecture itself is theology. It's doing theology. <laughs> and it's doing theology on you, whether you're aware of it or not. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And that was the mindset of those architects and builders, was that this building is not just a utilitarian space. It ain't a Sam's Club that's been repurposed to, to be a, a worship center. The building right. itself communicated great truths about God. And actually... I won't go too far down this path. Feel That's free good. To edit no. it. But <clears throat> interestingly, you could sort of draw a, a timeline or sort of a historic investigation of how did we get from cathedrals to Sam's Clubs? Oh, my gosh. And what does it tell us? What does our Sam's Club tell us mm-hmm. about our theological understanding of God versus a cathedral? It's not good news, actually. <laughs> not- how do we go from... You know, uh, King's College, Cambridge, to a mega church inside of a box that actually prides itself on being in a maybe a former commercial space, rehabbing, whatever. So the the thing about the music. Sorry for my little. Please don't apologize. I just finished reading that <laughs> that part in your book. Oh my this god! Morning. <laughs> That's right. It isn't Jason this morning. <laughs> but the Eson so isn't. Much. So that drone that runs through the whole piece of music. Um, actually, I think it was uh, Arvo Parrot who called it the Eson, and the Eson is means eternity note. Mm. So what that drone that runs through the whole piece means is it's the presence of God in the world and in the music. It's always there. 
whether you're conscious or conscious or un your conscious or unconscious mind is aware of it but it's always there and and what it does is it doesn't um it, it the, the other notes that are flying around are not restricted by the presence actually they're freed because the because the ground of all being is there always so all the notes then are free to be themselves and to fly around the drone and then <laughs> when the composer chooses periodically to pull the drone out what it does is to remind us of what's it like to live in the silence or the mm. the 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 now no longer felt presence of god no longer felt presence doesn't mean it's absent it just means it's mm-hmm. you could say that okay this is getting too intense but that um what we feel is the presence of God through his absence. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Yes. You see that? So again, it, I love this because we just tend to think that we talk about God in music, but actually great music reveals great... It, the, the music itself is theology. It's communicating something about God. Forget mm-hmm. the lyrics, forget the production, forget mm-hmm. the, what is the music itself mm-hmm. saying. Yeah. Through tension. Yeah. Like, why do you end a song on a four chord? Yeah. Well, yeah. because we're not home yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> yeah. a theological idea. Yeah. Why do we use suspended chords? Yeah. Five, sus- five, five suspended one. What is it telling <laughs> us? It's dying to go home. <laughs> Back to one. Right? Oh, man. So yeah. anyway, now I'm geeking out on. And no, my please audience, don't do the whole, that. That's the whole amazing. typology audience is going. When are we getting to that interview again? No, this is it. This is the interview. This is what I signed up for yes. this morning. This is exactly what I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh so we had a moment, people, and it mm-hmm. was really, it was really, really beautiful. All right, short introduction from you about who you are, what you're about, what you're doing in the world. Oh, jeez. And and you're an Enneagram Five. Yay! I am. Woo-hoo! Yes. We love having yes. Enneagram Fives on. <laughs> We're so overdue. do our fives. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, Instagram is going to light up, man. All the fives right. are going to be like, thank you. <laughs> that is exactly it. We like to wear our invisibility cloaks and we show up every every now and again. But, you know, that's exactly it, isn't it? I've, I feel very excited to be here. What do you want to know? Well, tell people what you do and what your what what gets you up in the morning and what are you, mm. what are you thinking about when you go to bed at night? Oh, geez. Okay, what, what wakes me up in the morning? Well, there's a present-day answer, and then there's a more long-term answer. I would say the long-term answer is the endless possibilities. Um, I love infinite possibility, which would probably be a good name for God for fives, I think, as the mm. to dwell in the land of infinite possibility. And, and, you know, quantum physics, as just a tiny deep dive into it, I, I don't feel well-versed in it, but... Um, where everything is infinite possibility and, and under watchful observation, it becomes matter. Energy turns to matter. And I just I just love that concept. So I would say that is a thing that pulls me out of bed every morning because I really do love to sleep. <laughs> so the option A is like, stay in bed, think your thoughts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> order Postmates, text a few friends so you feel like you're part of a community and then call it a day. <laughs> it's like really good. <laughs> So, like, actually, the action of getting out of bed, I would say, takes a lot of concerted effort for me. But um, that would be one thing that gets me out of bed, I would say, is the infinite possibility and the invitation into that every day. Mm -hmm. 
feels pretty new. It feels new and it feels as old as the hills, I think. It feels grounding and um, good to be part of um, something that exists far beyond and also deep within and pulls me in a gravitational sort of way, like Mm -hmm. throughout kind of the ether, I guess. So that that probably wakes me up in the morning and then going to bed is a bit is a bit more difficult because i i feel like i've weighed through a lot of negotiations in my mind during the day of like what needs to be done what do i have to do i kind of move very slowly extremely slowly if you you know picture the slowest person you can ever imagine in your mind times that by probably four and you're kind of on point so i i move very slowly through the day i kind of only do one thing at a time and then when I kind of get through, like, I wade through the, you know, the things that need to get done. And at night when everything settles down and dies down, it's kind of when I feel, like, bright-eyed. So that's usually when a lot of writing or thinking, thinking writing gets mm. kind of done. I try to practice um, Julia Cameron's style of morning pages, which yep. is, you know, to access the subconscious mind, which is mm-hmm. always really helpful for the me. The Artist Way, for mm-hmm. people who don't are, are mm-hmm. familiar with The Artist Way, it's a good book for yeah. aspiring artists and yeah. artists who are uh, in on the journey already. Yeah, I think the spiritual practice of writing really helps to see it on the page. and But uh, yeah, at night, I would say I feel... Um, very inspired, and so I end up usually staying up a bit later than than <laughs> I would like to. But it it kind of depends. The last couple of years, I haven't really had a uh, a daily expected rhythm because I've been kind of nomadic, and so I'm excited to get into my rhythm because mm. I just got my I just got a place in LA, so I'm very excited. Ooh. Excited about very simple things like buying pots and pans and daily tiny rhythms of this is when I do this. This is when I go here. This is when I sit and think my thoughts. This is when I read. This is when I interact with people. You know, things like that. So would you say your life's compartmentalized? Um, yes. So this is when I do this. This is when my energies go here. This is when my energies go here. Mm -hmm. Because it's a very five thing. Yeah. And transitions take forever. Transitions, sometimes the transition is the thing. (laughs) Like moving from one thing to the next. (laughs) It becomes the thing It's actually the thing. Like I look forward to actually when I leave an event and get in my car and drive to whatever's next. And I'll take the long way around on purpose, put on a great choral piece of music like the transition of moving from one thought to the other or one person to the other because I really want to get I mean in the practice of embodiment because I have been so dissociated you know um to be present with people is such a gift and it takes me a while to really land there so so long that sometimes I feel like I meet people and then I walk away being deeply impacted and then about six months later I realize how impactful that really was Mm. um it just takes a long time for things to catch up so yeah Yeah. transitions take a while (laughs) so it sounds like the transition is both a a, sort of a a charging station yeah oh yeah oh yeah between two events that may have been depleting because it involved a lot of relationship stuff (laughs) yeah but i love that you're also getting ready not to defend yourself against the next encounter Mm. but to actually become open and available to what's coming next yeah I, i that that is my hope that is my hope to actually walk into a space and and 
um, have defense, have, you know, the defenses down and just actually be present to the gift of the, the person in front of me, the experience in front of me, whatever is right there. Beautiful. Yeah. I love that because many times how fives are painted and, and actually how some fives are right is, is a little bit like, how do I recharge in order to move back into the world it's almost it's negatively framed. It's like, how do I go back into the world with enough energy to maintain my defenses against depletion, right. uh, mm-hmm. against too many demands being placed against my limited resources? But I love what you're saying, which is like, it's actually quite a monastic idea, which is how do I go into solitude that mm-hmm. I might emerge available for community? Right. That, I mean, that would be the hope, too, because I very much resonate with what you're saying. Uh, previously about you know defenses that feels very true to me Mm. um but i think i think with integration it like the best friends that i have are the people that i can be alone together with i guess Mm -hmm. where you know you can check in and feel the presence of a person which is glorious and but when when we don't have when there's nothing being asked or required or i mean it sounds very luxurious but it's more about energy than it is anything it's not about like running errands or doing something or serving someone it's not about that it's just about the energy resources right and i think when we accept the fact that we will be depleted like i my resistance ends to it Mm. i go into an environment knowing depletion isn't bad or good it just is and we all have you know, a certain kind of measure of energy. So if I accept that before I go in, then I'm not railing against the idea of I'm being drained, I'm being depleted. It's more Mm. like, oh, this energy is going somewhere, hopefully in a beautiful way, in an exchange with a person. Like, that's good energy depletion. And and at the end of it, I have my fail-safe routine where I get to go back and restore my soul. Like, it doesn't, it's just not I'm not at the mercy of, I think that's something, I lived in a victim state for a really, really long time, feeling like I was at the mercy of whatever happens next, which would cause me to just completely retreat into the attic of my mind, because I felt like I was always... Oh, the attic of my mind! (laughs) Oh, boom! (laughs) So I think think learning, like, it's a hard thing to remember, it's something I feel like I have to practice, but I, I lived in such a place... If I live in reaction as a in, a in my victim of I'm at the mercy of whatever happens next or whatever somebody wants from me, then I'll just stay away from most people, mm-hmm. most interactions, and stay in bed and order Postmates and read my books. Like that's that's like heaven to me. But um, but when I'm not at when I when I come to like my right mind and realize I'm not at the mercy of something, then I get to decide. Like it's a powerful decision to go out be part of something and and share in an energetic exchange with with a good boundary in place of I get to return to the sanctuary of my soul at the end of the day. I get to like I look forward to it, but it doesn't mean I'm just trying to survive something in order to like say I went to the thing so that I can get to my sanctuary. It's like a it's more of a sacred rhythm of now is when like we do this. We have this exchange, we have this whatever this is. And and I actually enjoy the ride of it more. I enjoy the spontaneity of not really knowing what's going to happen because mm-hmm. I know at the end of it, I'm like, I can get into my car, put on my music, go for the little drive home, and and you know, be a little hermit for 
however long it takes. Sometimes it's just an hour. Like time is irrelevant. It's more like I think the fear or the the fear that I won't have enough time that makes any amount of time feel like not enough time. Right. Mm-hmm. But if I'm like, I'm going to take the time that I need. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, within an hour, I'm like, hey, you know what? I actually want to go out into the world. I want to go, you know, experience. Right. It sounds like people. it's like when you encounter the world, uh, it's not depletion so much as energy well spent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you come back and you recharge. And by accepting what is, um, you don't waste energy on resistance. Right. Which is sort of a lovely thing, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. when did you kind of figure out you were an Enneagram 5, uh, an investigator sometimes called the observer? Mm. When did you figure that out? And, and what did that sort of illuminating fact, how did it affect your self-concept or oh, your, wow. and your understanding of the world and your history and everything else it continues to i'd say probably when my invisibility cloak wore thin <laughs> that's, when I, <laughs> that's when i discovered i was a five <laughs> uh you know i think necessity is a great innovator isn't that a phrase that we we use and i it was very much a necessary step forward in my spiritual path and pilgrimage to help make sense of, I think, just my experience and relationships. Relationships are everything. Relationship to God, to self, to people. My my prominent relationship at the time was coming apart, and I was very much in a victim state, so I needed, I needed all the help I could get. I think that necessity, like, pushed me over the edge of whatever I need to learn, however I need to grow whatever I need to read and but not just read I mean we can get stuck reading for days but actually put into practice Mm. that's where um yeah the floodgates kind of opened so the Enneagram uh, gave you language understanding of maybe what had happened in the relationship previously in your life Mm and uh, the lights, like the, yeah. oh, the tumblers yeah. dropped, right? Yeah. The, in, the, in the lock. Yeah. Bit. And I mean, our community and my closest friends were all kind of on the, we all kind of stumbled into it a little bit together, I'd say. So it it gave a lot of context and communi- and and language for, oh, this is, oh, you're not crazy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, I'm right. not crazy. I have felt like such an outsider for so long in my own body and my own experience and you know but that and I used to think oh it's just it's it's the it's the external things it's the people out there that that exaggerate it um like even even thinking that I was just really really introverted which I am but I think that was kind of a smoke screen because when you go out with people and you're not at home within yourself you just feel end up feeling more lonely than Mm -hmm. staying at home by yourself you know Mm -hmm. staying at home by yourself you can fill the space and the silence with like measures of connection that make us feel like we're part of something without actually having to engage in the world but when we engage in the world and we're already really lonely and we aren't home we aren't at home within ourselves and it just exaggerates the loneliness so three times you you just alluded to not at home in my own body. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, and <laughs> that's a very five thing. Oh, yeah. So I want you to describe what does that mean? Not disembodied, not at home in my own body. You are earlier in the in the conversation you talked about dissociating, which is you know not dissimilar to that theme. Yeah. Um, what what are you talking about there? Because some people won't understand what it means right. to feel not at home in your own body. Oh, geez. Um. 
I, th- I mean, what comes, I, I, I would say it feels a bit like everything is moving. It's almost like watching a film of your own experience mm-hmm. above and everything feels like it's moving too fast to ingest and to really take in. Yes. Um, Engulfment is what we say sometimes in psychology with fives. Is yeah. That it's this feeling of life is engulfing and yeah. it's too much. And I can't, I can't, my processor can't keep up yeah. with everything coming at me. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, it feels a bit like watching something happen. And I mean, there's like a, actually reading about the five and realizing, you know, the feelings come later they're mm-hmm. latent i mm-hmm. used to feel like why, why am i just broken <laughs> like i i rarely feel things right in the moment they just get stacked up and then six months later i'm like oh this is how i feel about something but i yeah i would say the feeling outside my body it's a pretty regular thing and then there's practices that are suggested for us like dancing mm-hmm. which i think is a human expression that we're all deeply in need of you know because that puts me in the moment like nothing else so i'd say that's deeply healing and it deeply it's an integrating i think practice yes but it does yoga is great oh my gosh i love i love it yeah it's yeah i love it there's a there's a passage in a and james joyce has a beautiful collection uh that's actually readable uh from called dubliners Mm. is the name of it so beautiful uh and and he describes a character. He said, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. <laughs> that's exactly. It's like a little bird above the shoulder of a human frame. That's how I feel like my soul is. It's just kind of like floating up there and saying, oh, that's interesting every once in a while. <laughs> what an interesting thing to observe. It's, to observe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you, you have those amazing powers of observation as a five. <laughs> You you almost approach life like an investigative uh-huh. journalist, yeah. And you're kind of, but the danger, of course, is is that you confuse thinking with participating. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And so, how are you learning to actually dive into life and participate in it versus observing it from a distance and confusing that with life? Right. It's a good question. Um, again, I feel like necessity, it pulled me to the vulnerable edges of all that I was um, trying to guard, I guess, or trying to guard against and put me in the path of people which are flawed and wonderful and beautiful. But that's that was more healing than anything else. I, I have a memory of sitting with friends in LA last summer we were sitting around a dinner table we had a long dinner and this family are they're just precious to me they're like siblings we had a long dinner together and there was wine and there was music and there was singing and there was spontaneous dancing and at one point we were all sitting around the table candles were lit a song came on I think it's called We Don't Need to Argue Anymore by the Cranberries oh yeah Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh um, and I burst spontaneously into tears. And in that moment, it felt, I did, I, I just felt like this little voice, like stay, like I, I didn't leave in my mind. I just mm. stayed and we all just stayed. Mm. And two of my friends just like 
it's weird to it's, I, it's, I haven't really described this out loud, but <laughs> I felt like I stayed in my body rather than like I'll take my tears into the attic of my mind and disappear there and then return back because I can do that in a moment even when I'm with people. Mm. Like I'll disappear for a second, go and try to find a book in my bookcase up there somewhere in the attic, and then return when I have something to say. This was just like I. I I think there was I had nothing left, so it, it's glorious. Like I think it feels it feels like a feels like crashing, and it feels like a symphony at the same time. And they were like one of my friends just reached across the table and put her hand on my hand, and one had her hand on my shoulder, and then my other two friends just sat there, tears, and we just sat in silence for the whole song. Hmm. And then when the song ended, whatever's next was whatever's next it just it it just happened it was a moment that i was actually fully alive to and fully present in Mm. and it was deep solidarity i think Mm. which is incredibly healing just the the deep solidarity of not somebody imposing ideas or thoughts or it's okay or you know trying to make things okay it was just clearly not okay i was in a not okay year Mm. (laughs) last couple years have just not been okay and it was amazing to sit in the this is not okay it's a not okay year. We're just all going to not be okay with it. And that's glorious. Mm. So I don't even know if that answers anything. I think the practice of actually being with people, and it, and it is an interior practice of um, staying staying with, like those moments of just, just staying in the moment rather than right. like retreating and going to get a book or a thought or whatever and come back. And by then it feels like I've taken a trip around the room, you know, and – and things have kept moving down here, but I don't, I don't sure. know yet. So interestingly, we before we began, we, we listened to that piece of music, and I was standing on the other side of the room near the speakers because I, I have this tendency to c- conduct when I, I, when I hear it. music like that. <laughs> but I, as I looked over and saw you looking down uh, and tearful, mm-hmm. and I was like, interesting, because oftentimes fives don't like to be surprised by emotions. They, yeah. they don't like it when they well up on their own and overtake them. Yeah. There, there's a lot of fear uh, about that, and they mm-hmm. can retreat. But so I, what was going on for you when you, you – so, yeah, for you as a five, tears arise. You don't know me. Yeah, this is the first time we're meeting, though it feels like we know each other now. It, yeah. What was going – yeah, what was happening there? What was it like for you? Was it uncomfortable? Was it natural? What – no, I mean, I we don't know each other, but it's uh, the, I've been reading Chasing Francis all week, and not because of not because I knew I was going to meet you, but because one of my dear friends said this book changed my life. I think it's right on point for exactly where you're mm. at, and I just started reading it that night and haven't been able to put it down. So then when this came together, I was yeah. like, Oh my god, <laughs> this is! <laughs> I feel very known when I read when I read thing when I read you know, experiences and stories and thoughts like that, I feel very safe maybe with the the author of who's admitting themselves on the page because you've done the work of admission. Mm. Um, so it feels safe. For years and years, though, I would just collect that and think about it later, which, I mean, there's just a measure of that that's going to happen mm-hmm. later on. I'll probably talk about this with my friend Melissa in two days and we'll be on a walk 
in the forest in North Carolina and I'll be recalling this to her and then about a week after that I'll be thinking about the walk in the forest and probably be talking to someone else about that. <laughs> it's just lily padding just, across your life. You know, it's like, <laughs> like uh, the last, ex- oh wow, this is amazing, you know, like, but I think for years and years I stored up emotion and I did not know how to express it except through music. And even in my family, my family, they feel things deeply and they cry a lot easier than I do. And I remember my dad, even when I was a kid, being like, you can let it out. You can let it out, what you feel. And I did not know how to, mm-hmm. like, in my body. I knew how the only place I really found that kind of home was in music, was in playing it, was in piano. But I think over the last couple of years, all those kind of guards just kind of came down mm-hmm. a bit. And it's still a practice to decide to let the waves of emotion actually happen. Because I think I get afraid that I'll be swept away by them Mm. or I'll drown there rather than letting it wash and cleanse and heal. And, you know, we can only really heal what we're willing to feel anyways. So Mm -hmm. um, we can only heal what we're willing to feel. Can you say that again? (laughs) We can only heal what we're willing to (laughs) feel. That's an amazing statement. Wow, that's a really great quote to go out on. We can only heal what we're willing to feel. I'm so glad that uh, Ian asked her to repeat that a few times. Hey, I hope you enjoyed part one of our two-part series with Amanda Lindsay Cook. Be sure and tune in next week for part two. And until next week, we hope you have a good one. See ya. See ya.